I express to the universe my wish. Just for what the man is, that's my uh, lover that I'm not quite ready for yet. That's okay. I mean, quantum-wise, he's right next to me on my bed, if and when I want. Um, I'm just watching this crazy interview with Rex Bear, who his channel is called Leak Project, and he's interviewing some kid who is doing, I can't remember um, the person's name right now, Crazy Bernie, Crazy Bernie's Lab, something like that. Um, I want a Crazy Bernie, but not, not, not Crazy Bernie, not a white guy with like detail, shaved facial hair and long <laughs> scraggly um, head hair stuffed under a trucker cap who does graffiti. Um, he does graffiti. He does art. He does a lot of um, trippy art, I guess you could say. Paranormal content. Um, stuff with grays. It's so bizarre that people have had to interact with the grays. I will repeat out loud that I am so glad that I have that protection. I don't want to interact with the grays. Even good ones. Not now. Not unless I had a friend that could help me feel grounded. Because that shit is fucking nuts. But anyway, <laughs> this transmission is just, I am manifesting. Um, I have said in recent years, I think over the past year, he's tall and Korean and he speaks Spanish. It's almost like uh, a little phrase that could you could build a joke around. What's tall Korean and speak Spanish all over? <laughs> But that's what he is. And I feel like the right kind of Korean guy is very timeless. You know, what comes to mind when we're visualizing, when we're manifesting, you always have to pull from something that you know, whether it's in your imagination or you've seen it in the agreed upon known world. Um, so I used to watch this. Uh, was a show on Netflix. Uh, the only thing you would consider like reality TV um, that I would ever watch. I'd never want to watch any of that weird <laughs> overproduced bullshit where like there's participants with suntans and fake eyelashes and they're competing for love. No, this was far more earthy and um, grounded in reality, the importance of love. The show is called Hiori's Bed and Breakfast. I might even watch it after this, an episode of Hiori's Bed and Breakfast. So it's after midnight. Sometimes I like to stay up 
there, you know, what is this, the witching hour? It pleases me. So there's something where I like to be afraid, but not really afraid. You know, it's like when you would go to watch a spooky movie or something. Um, that's a whole nother topic. I should do a whole podcast on the difference between creepy, spooky, scary, never going towards sadistic, but like, you know, whatever, all the minutia of what's shadowy, the whole spectrum of shadow. Um, something really creative is coming in right now. I can feel it. It's kind of like a wonky mad scientist lover love. Um, I do believe, well, this is, it's the 7th of May ish. I'm on either side of the 7th of May and 2021. It's always good to have a timestamp reference for these musings. Um, anyway, back to the dude, the tall Korean dude who I, well, I'm inspired by, uh, all right, I'm going to drop some show, um, illusions for each of you to promptly, you know, when you step away, find the shows and watch them and just, I hope they make you feel giddy and in love with life and magic and the possibilities and um, the earth and its relationship to the other planets. I know that's kind of big, but that's my whole jam. That's Paige's jam. She's all about earth and earth's connection to other cosmic planets. And therefore these magical relationships we can cultivate with other beings and just the notion that, you know, humans by nature, when, when I choose the phrase star seeds, that's kind of the only one I'm comfortable throwing around these days. Um, I was just hanging out with two of my lady friends last night. Um, so either this will be a standalone podcast or this will be an add-on to a short that I just uploaded that's pretty obtuse. It's like six minutes and I don't know that it would make sense to um, a listener that doesn't have any context. And sometimes I just want my listeners to know that I do this on purpose. It's what I call, well, I didn't coin this term. The term is called theater of cruelty. I don't know if anyone's familiar. So theater of cruelty was a notion that was embraced and embodied um, and uh, the person who wrapped language around this concept and acted it out and showed it visually. His name is, I'm going to say it and then I'll spell it out because I'm a native English speaker saying a French name and it's either going to be hard for my non-French listeners to guess the spelling of. So 
or and or, you know, my pronunciation is probably not great. His name is real tricky. That would be awesome if his name was capital R, real, capital T, tricky. <laughs> that would be so great. <laughs> real tricky, circa the late 30s in France. No, his name is Antino. Antino. So Antonin, I think is how it's spelled. A-N-T, Antonin, I-N-O-N. And I'll look that up. I'll, I'll put the proper spelling in the show notes. Aroto. I know the spelling of his last name. Aroto. A-R-T-A-U-D. Because this Antonin, Aroto, um moved me when I was in college. I went to the University of Minnesota um, and I hadn't declared a major. Um, <laughs> this is the conundrum of the smart person. I just didn't know, you know, like I love language. I love writing. I love expression. I love singing. So you'd think theater, I, I had a little poke around in the theater department. And you know what, ultimately I would say, flash forward to present moment where I'm, I have experienced 52 earth years, is there was just too much ego in the theater department. There was plenty of talent, plenty of talent. I ended up doing, um, the most active um, class experience I chose was was called theater tech. It was really cool. Um, and so you would choose, essentially, you had a technical um, position in a theater production. And we were graded based on, of course, our participation and there was an attendance requirement was a little ridiculous. I think I missed one, maybe two nights. And then the instructor tried to give me a C minus, but I fulfilled all the requirements. Um, that's kind of why I left the department. I felt very, um, poorly handled. You know, I didn't feel supported. I didn't feel like somebody realizes that everybody who, you know, filters themselves into the theater department, walks into Rarig is what the what it's called, Rarig Center. These are where the theater performances are. Wants to be held. What needs, you know, we're like little children who need to be guided to our muses or have the muses pulled out of us, whatever that is. You know, there there needed to be kind of a I wished that there was a presence of mentorship throughout the department where you could sort of get lost and found and you wouldn't get judged for it. You wouldn't be considered a C minus um, valuation. I don't, I have no interest in being seen as a C minus um, in the world. Some of you, <laughs> I wonder if someday we'll graduate beyond grades. A, B, C, D, E, F. 
There's no G. It ends at failure. <laughs> For anyone who's ever gotten an F, you know how it feels. Um, or a D. Or a C minus. But um, I guess all I wanted to say about me going to university. Oh, that's right. Wow. That's so crazy that I just went through this whole mental landscape. I'm so glad I can, you know, traverse all these different places in my mind. And it's kind of like being in the forest. Like, yes, I'm making a point, but I care less about that one tree than kind of meandering through a big piece of the forest. So I'm going to go back to Antonel Arato. So I don't know. I can't remember how I happened upon him. I, um, I took a film studies class. So this was all before I declared a major. Drum roll. Dun, 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 dun. What do you think it was? What major do you think I chose? Well, hopefully my memory will tap me on the shoulder at the end of this episode and I'll reveal. But I kind of want you to guess. What, what, what do you think? Where would I, where would my skills be best applied? I mean, in the modern world, there could be so many different departments, but kids, this was the nineties. All right. I don't consider that the modern world it was pre-digital. <laughs> I was living in, um, uh, oh, what do, what do they, what do you, what do we call pre-digital? I was living in analog times. Yeah, you used a Macintosh computer to type out papers. That's all they were. It was essentially just an electronic typewriter. That's all it was, a word processor. So wrap your brain around that, young kids. <laughs> like, be thankful for your... I'm not saying be thankful for the smartphone's radiation, but be thankful for your smart devices, and that they're not even smart as in the definition of the real original etymological word, SMART. That is an acronym. Maybe I'll put the acronym in the show notes too because I can't remember what it is, but it's disturbing. It's definitely disturbing. And I think it even... um, I think it even suggests in uh, the... I think R is for radiation. So, you know, when they say smart meters, they want to make your home smart, your your refrigerator smart, your car smart. That's fucking scary as fuck. You should be afraid of that. And I mean it. AI is in the word afraid. Okay? So is F for failure. So, yeah, I'm giving the word afraid an F for failure because fear is just not good for humans. We should not be fueled by fear or, you know, any form of negative radiation. Only the good stuff, you know, solar radiation, um, plasma, plasma release, um, all the healing uh, aspects of the unseen in our elemental world. Anyway, so Antonin 
Alto, um, I ended up in this film studies class. It was so great. I think it was called was called Films of the Real, which is an era in film history. R E E L. Um, which also, you know, definitely refers to analog. It's the, you know, film negative. You, you load it. It's loaded into a canister. See, young kids, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about because you don't, you don't even know how digital stuff is made. I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm not. I'm not. In some ways, you're way smarter than I am with stuff that I just, you know, don't care about, like TikTok, etc. But, okay, so I'm in this film class. It's called Films of the Real. Um, and it's an era of film history, which is like the 20s and 30s. And so I think some of Antenon Aradol's, I'll just call him Aradol. Maybe I'll call him Artie. Let me call him Artie from here on out. Um, I'm not going to call him Ant. That's not very uh, appealing. Artie. I'm going to call him Artie. So when I say Artie, I mean Antenon Ardeau. Um I just, there's no reason to, when your French isn't very good, there's that. You know, I just don't want to misuse the French language because they're so particular about getting it right. And it's just pretentious to do... In a weird way, it's respectful to do proper pronunciation, but okay, my audience is predominantly uh, English-speaking women, I think. I hope that changes. I hope it becomes international all genders, all ages. Um, so welcome to my roundtable, all of you, all ages and genders and colors and speakers of many languages. So cinema of the real, films of the real, 20s and 30s. So that was silent film. And then in that realm between then the 30s, 40s, and 50s, we enter um, films of the real. I think it goes from silent film into sound. So it's all the cultural movements that happened in that phase of our film history. And Antonin Artie, otherwise known as Artie, um, he had a couple of very specific areas of interest. He was interested in uh, theater. He was interested in Japanese theater. <clears throat> he ended up making like... Well, he is the one who uh, is responsible for this concept, theater of cruelty. S what he enjoyed or what kind of drew him in to the kind of juicy matter, as in matter, mater. It's interesting that matter refers to mater in Latin and mater refers to what would you think? Take a guess. What do you think mater means? The Germans say moody. <laughs> it's mother. 
Matter is mother. Everything you can touch and feel is the mother. Isn't that wonderful? I love that. Everything you love is mother. And you can love concepts, but you sure can't give them a kiss. Anyway, um, so theater of cruelty, part of what it draws from is he ended up going over to Japan and he would watch their theater. And Japanese theater is a totally different um, experience than Western theater. So if you hear the term like mise-en-scene, mise-en-scene, it means it's kind of like the landscape of the scene. And they do a lot more mise-en-scene in French film, like they include the landscape as an important feature of each story, you know, as its own character, which is actually quite poetic. It reminds me of this movement that's happening right now. Present moment 2021 um, in the world, and that's there are certain factions around the world. Um, I have a emotional connection to New Zealand. I was a an exchange student there as a teenager, and I was moved by the Maori culture. I could talk more about that. Uh, please, 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 I would love it if you go back to some of my earliest episodes. I have a series of episodes called Maori Dream, um, and it's numbers one through five. Maori Dream, one, two, three, four, five. It's a profound experience. It's really kind of an anchor for me exploring everything ontological, which means how your perception of reality informs what you believe to be reality. You know, what is the nature of reality? What do you draw upon to infer that on a moment by moment basis? So, so the Maori are doing this thing where they're, it's, I think they're founding land trusts and they're going to, I don't want to use the word incorporate land as a personality, as a having personage. That's what they're going to do. They're going to um, embody legally through land trusts, Mother Earth, so that she has things like voting rights, um, a percentage of ownership in... Um, Anything that involves her, duh. I mean, just because Earth doesn't have a voice like humans have a, you know, mouth hole on their front of their face, and we decided that through language we would communicate, just because she can't tell us what she needs or wants, that does not give us any right to harm her on any level ever. That's rape. That's energetic rape. And if you ever harm Mother Earth, you're doing that. So let that be noted. Anytime you walk on her, anytime you, whatever you do with her, always think of her as a living body. Think that you're like walking on a version of your body. You know? I mean, I I actually do put cigarettes out on the earth, but... 
she doesn't mind that. It's more, and you know, I choose to enjoy that, but I do it very conservatively. Like I have one a day or every other day. Cause I love it. I love tobacco. I love ingesting tobacco. It feels sacred and it's like, it's an elemental thing. I love anything with smoke. Fires. We just had a great bonfire last night. I still have the stink, the glorious cosmic stink of earth fire in my hair. And I won't wash it out because of that smell. It's so funny. I used to go to this pub that was called Clubhouse Jaeger. Shout out to Clubhouse Jaeger. Back in the day. Now it's it's too bad because the owner got sort of outed as a a Nazi. Then nobody wanted to go there. And it's it's true, but it's not true. Basically, it was an amazing pub, and this guy has really cool sensibilities. So he refurbished this old corner um, self-standing building in what I call North Poop. Once was North Loop, where I used to live. For 10 years, I had a skincare shop called PH Orem. Um... For those of you who know and love her, remember that Hope, my girl Hope, was one of my estheticians. She's one of my dearest friends. I know she's going to listen to this. And uh, Alexis, if only you could have been in the PHRM days, but but no, I, I'm glad it's in the past. It was a, a, a little clutch of estheticians and... Uh, massage providers. I don't like to use the word therapist. I could explain that, but I'm not going to. Um, I just like the most basic monikers we can use. So we're not glorifying ourselves or like massage therapists that suggest that like you go in there to get a good rub and what she or he's going to help you uh, psychologically get better. Don't put that on your massage provider. Don't do that. If it happens naturally, that's part of the process. That's wonderful. You shoot the shit with your massage person. You're laughing. You're crying. That's great. But they don't owe you anything. So let's not call them massage therapists. Catch my drift. All right. Back to Artie. Arito. Um. So he went to Japan, and there is a thing called, well, the way that they do theater is they, I hope this makes sense audibly on a visual level, the spectacle which you experience is essentially in, like in Minneapolis, we have a, a theater in the round. It's called Theater in the Round. So that would mean um, instead of there being this, you know, 2D experience that's projected 3D to a rectangular room, you know, we're we're really not, I have no problem with being in rooms with corners, but that's going to go away because we're going to evolve into honoring 
platonic intelligence. So we're going to live in dwellings that are, um, what's the word? Mm, what is the word? Degad tetrahedronic. Wow. Did I just mince that word? But you know what I mean? Buckminster Fuller, Epcot Center, um, cells of three angles in a chamber of five petals that makes up a decodetrahedron. <laughs> the word I can't quite say because it's too many letters. <laughs> oh. Yeah, let's get let's pull that word out and practice it. Whoa. Um so this theater in the round, there's a spectacle happening. So let's say the story is unfolding and just to be really specific to help you, you know, flesh out that visual experience. We're in Japan, okay? We're on a dirt road. Um, it's street theater, and it, 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 there is a round in front of us. There's a spectacle on a round stage, or even just on the street, you know? People are gathered around a spectacle. That's interesting. A round has a relationship to round. So when we surround something, that's a round. So now you've got the visual. You as the audience are on the periphery of the circle. And then inside the circle is the story unfolding. So let's say it's people with painted white and dramatic, lovely, whatever, shapes on their faces and their hairs and buns with old vintage hairpins and kimonos and uh, uh, yukatas, my favorite. They're, those are cotton robes. It's not even probably meant for theater. They're meant for like wearing around the house, I think. <laughs> maybe maybe yukata can be silk. Um, I think like whether it's yukata or kimono, you know, robes are ceremonial in Japan. I think part of the reason our man already was fascinated by Japanese culture, and I would be too, I am, is their reverence for ritual, how ritual sort of impermeates everything they do. You know, a cup is a ritual, tea is a ritual, your robe is a ritual, um... Your hair is a ritual. What you sniff is a ritual. Um, yeah, I think they were into snuff. Like, I went through this phase where I collected snuff bottles. Has anyone ever seen a vintage snuff bottle? They're so cool. Um, they're Think of like a small... You know, you can... Vintage glass always appears of as being hand blown. Like you can see the irregularities, and it's got like more organic shape than our commercially produced modern glass. We gotta go back. We gotta go back to the juiciness to to mother's matter. What matters is mother. Um. Yeah, every single thing we touch should feel sensual. Like, yes, sensorial means 
the feeling experience, but sensual means, you know, we've demonized sensual. We've replaced it with like the term sexual, which I almost feel like we could get rid of the whole term sexual. I don't really like it. It's too overt. It's too sexual. X is just too in my face to me. X-rated XXXX. Also, X marks the spot. X is like, X seems really violent. Like, isn't that essentially what Zoro does? You know, with a sword, you'd cross cut into something. (laughs) I don't like it. I don't like it. It seems violent. So anyway, I, it is my wish. I'm sending my wish out into the world quantumly to the past in the present and toward the future endlessly like a golden realm of glittering plasma. I'm sending this concept that we, we again embrace that which matters, which means everything you touch, everything you could touch. So even like I'm looking at my window treatments right now, which are linen long curtains that it's sensual. Like you want to touch it. You know, you know, that kind of art that you want to touch. You're like, Ooh, I was always <laughs> getting in trouble as a kid when we went to museums. Like I was really well behaved in terms of, I learned language pretty quickly and, and I could listen to adults and I could, you know, pretty much keep myself well, walking a, a straight line if I needed to, or, you know, my motor skills were perfectly good in early years, but, but I always wanted to touch everything. And, you know, in the museums, they have those, those ropes. I, I was that. And then there's the people employed. I mean, that's so Orwellian. Don't touch that. Don't touch. There was all the signs all over the place that said, like, do not touch or please do not touch. If, you know, you can go fuck yourselves, uh, modern art culture. Just go fuck yourselves. Like, that's so pretentious that you don't want people touching your stuff. Make your art so people can touch it. That's what I say. Or, I mean, I'm trying to think. I don't really want people people's fingerprints all over my glass that's covering my art in my own home. But I could still clean it off. I mean, I feel like that should be kind of the responsibility of art enclaves is to invite a sensorial experience. Isn't that what art is? The At least the visual experience, certainly in the visual arts, it's to draw you in. So how sadistic is that to draw you in and then say, please don't touch? It's just weird. I don't like it. Just like I don't like X. Anyway, so you're on the stage, whatever. Just like put all the physical elements you want on the stage in your circle, in your round. And there were these elements 
of this theater that, you know, are the the pointer back to this theater of cruelty concept. Cruelty, there was an element of cruelty and I'll, I'll go back and watch some of his stuff. I'm not saying he would do something like film a can that has some beans in it and then it would just be like a black and white film where, and then all of a sudden, I don't think he was doing time-lapsing, but then there would be a fly or three flies. or I think he did film like dead animals, um, kind of like how Dolly was interested in that whole... Um, the phases of decay in nature, in our mater world. So anyway, now you get the picture. Now you get the picture. So theater of cruelty. So somehow, yeah, I, I just was into that. And then sadly, that would have been that would have been my major. My major would have been film studies. Um there was one of the few industry journals at the time, because remember this was the 90s. What am I? I'm ancient to the young people. <laughs> it's 2021 and the 90s are like somehow um, archaic history. But in the 90s, because it was pre-digital, there just wasn't as much published content for the everyday person to you know, have access to, to read. So there was this awesome magazine for any film enthusiast. God, it was so good. I bet it's still published. I should go to a cool old bookstore and, and buy a physical copy of Film Comment. So it was like really good paper stock. So it was kind of the difference between you know, what do they say? Glossy and flat. I think it was both or like even mixed, um, pulp. So it was like glossy and flat. It had really cool texture. The, the stock, um, the weight of the cover was heavier than most magazine covers. And the content was just, just out of this world bomb really really good like you could hear the narrator's voice when they were interviewing people like one of my favorite interviews was with Quentin Tarantino and I think he'd only done Reservoir Dogs at that point you know it was before Kill Bill it was before many of his stuff was it had Pulp Fiction come out and it the interview was, you know, he was relaying why he loves everything he loved. Like, he was super into horror and comedy and spaghetti westerns. Um, yeah, he's a he's a funny one. He's very mercurial. I I did not appreciate when he cast himself in his own movies. Like, how uncomfortable was that in Pulp Fiction? I mean, an actor learns the art of enunciation, how to speak slowly enough, 
you know, pronounce every aspect of every letter so it's pleasant on the ears. Um, he is not an actor and he was doing that weird thing where he was making coffee and uh, who are the two actors who just brought that white car to his house and they had to clean out I'm not going to get into it it's very much theater of cruelty they had to clean out the blood in a white vinyl interior of a vintage like 70s car of someone who just got shot in their car, murdered um, and it was like pieces of skull and you know tissue and blood wow was that graphic John Travolta and who's the brother come on people help me out that would be cool someday to have a podcast that was interactive where as I'm doing it well that would be kind of annoying but if I could turn if you had an option to turn on interactive capabilities that would be really cool or you could leave audible comments and then I could either yeah then I could string together string together a podcast with your audible comments um that would be cool I would do that just if if I ever get to that point make sure you know to enunciate okay don't mumble like Use your inner love, show your own self-pride of your voice. That's 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 a something in in the modern world that drives me absolutely nuts when somebody is doing this kind of weird conflicted expression of I'm important, I've got my friends, like this happens with young people a lot. I've got my friends, I'm cool, I know things and then you're like well, do you? Because your body language is showing that you seem like sort of embarrassed about parts of you and and terrified that I'm so present in this conversation, watching you, observing you, looking at you. Yeah, I'm assessing judgment. I am. I'm comfortable with that. So take that, like, whatever PC, I'm not going to use the word haters. I don't use any of these monikers that young people use. But like, take that insecure people cloaking themselves as really self-important. Nobody's self-important. We're all important. But anyway, let's just agree that uh, Tarantino (laughs) should not have more than a quick cameo in his films. No speaking parts, okay? No speaking roles for you, Quentin. Because you also, you know you have a really nasal voice. Very nasal. Um, You're a good guy. It's no diss. It's no diss against you. You just, like, you're not an actor and you know it. So, um, so back to the theater of cruelty. Because I went down that little memory lane because of my favorite film comment magazine. And the major I was going to have. So, yeah, I was going to be a film studies major. And then they fucking closed the department. Yeah, they phased out the department. Completely. 
I think for a little while it was um, relegated to another department somehow. I don't know how they did that photography. I don't know how they did that, but it went away when I was there. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. In the window of time I was at the University of Minnesota, I couldn't do it. So I couldn't do that. I also considered religious studies. Um, and I was, by nature, I'm an academic, you know, like, so at the time, if I was around 20, I call that my Jesus phase. It was a short phase of my life where I was trying to embody religion. Um, it didn't stick. I love studying religion just like I love studying astrology, just like I love studying languages, just like I love studying humanity and philosophy, you know, but these are all just signs and symbols, signposts to our, the truth, the true nature, uh, beyond language, nature beyond language. That's my favorite realm, nature beyond language. Um, with lots of sensual inserts and no X's. Um, all right, so, so back to Theater of Cruelty and Film Studies Department. Chats, then same with Religious Studies. They, they weirdly cut, they phased it out. What the fuck was going on? I went to university from roughly 86 to 92, 86 to 91. Um, and yeah, they phased out two really important departments. Why were they doing budget cuts in amazing departments? Fuckers. I think the psychology department was like enormous. I took one psych class cause I had to it. And I was like, what am I doing in a room with 130 other students? I think I skipped I skipped a lot of psych classes. I don't know how I passed that class. Who wants to be in a room where there's no accountability or interaction? Gross, disgusting. So clearly I wasn't meant to be in a major where there was lots of people. I don't like that. I like small, I like circles. You know, like theater of cruelty. I like to be in a circle. So there's a hint, there's a hot hint about what department I was in. Small classes, lots of interaction, discursive writing, discourse. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so, Antonin, Artie, Arthur, um, so I got into his films. I couldn't do that major. I went, so I went to the theater department and I, I felt so vulnerable. Like it is a very vulnerable th feeling to be in theater. Okay, so if you do tech, you're just like, I'm a nerd, I'm an introvert, I wanna be behind the scenes. I wanna be behind the hot lights, not in front of them. They're really hot. They're alarmingly hot, those lights. Um, I ended up choosing for that theater tech class. I chose costume, which was perfect for me 
because I got lots of interaction physically and energetically. So essentially, I was responsible for changing, helping the actor change their costumes between scenes. So that was super fun. You know, I got really familiar with certain racks and I could pull out this and give it to you and help you put it on. And um, it was exciting because by nature, as a culture, actors are very confident. I mean, you have to be confident to put yourself out in front of lots of people and be an orator. Like that's, most people can't do that. Um, So I thought maybe I would do that, but no, that's too much for me. Like if I ever, first of all, I never want to act. So um, what I realized was uh, I don't want to be an actor. I I think that being an actor is deceptive. You're deceiving people because you're not being you. And I know that sometimes that's not true, but that's what I didn't like about it. Um, In my first and last... uh, Oh, it's funny. I always forget this word because I don't want to remember it. When you go to try out for a production, it's in front of a panel of people, which is very disconcerting right then and there. And then they're deciding if you're, they're going to choose you as the actor. So what is that called? What is that called? Somebody help me. Um, so anyway, I went audition. Why do I not remember the word audition? Audition. It's got audio in it. Audition. All right. Maybe I'll remember it just by saying that out loud. Audio is in audition. I like the word audio. Um, so (laughs) this is very funny. Um, so I, for my audition, you know, you could choose, I think I I could choose, I don't know. I, somehow I chose among pieces. Maybe I had to choose from an era. Anyway, I chose this excerpt from a Tennessee Williams play. So whomever knows who Tennessee Williams is, um, he was a Southern um, playwright. And I won't say much more than that because I didn't even really get that deeply into his material. But this character was, I feel like playwrights at that time were very, the content was so tragic. It was always so tragic. People were dying and, you either were very wealthy or very poor, and was it Victorian times? Tennessee Williams. I think it's post-Victorian. Anyway, we can go back and look that up. I'm not putting that in the show notes. You find out who Tennessee Williams is. Hey, Siri. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things to do because you know what it does? Well, you'll yes, your device will stop and... Siri comes up. I know how to bring Siri up. Hey, Siri. (laughs) And for the record, everyone, I don't employ Siri very often. I do like the feature because I am an um, very aural, A-U-R-A-L, 
There's a word for people who think someone's saying oral when they're saying aural. Aural means in the ears. Oral means out of the mouth. Um, Tennessee Williams. Uh, oh, I was going to say first Siri. I don't like Siri as an American woman's voice. As a matter of fact, I tend not to like female voices that are automatrons. I don't like what the IT scripter thinks is a good voice. I don't like them. I don't care for them. They make me nervous. I feel judged. Um, they seem uptight. I don't like them. So I chose the most casual, bright voice I could find, which ends up being my Siri is either Irish or South African, and he's a, you know, dude. So he he's, speaks very brightly to me whenever I pull him up, and this pleases me. Um, so, yeah, just look up Tennessee Williams. But the, the excerpt that I chose, I can't remember which play it was from. Something about a summer breeze. Uh, anyway, the character was the Southern Belle, you know, meaning a woman that would always wear dresses and be properly groomed and speak, you know, um, eloquent grammar <clears throat> with a Southern lilt. Anyway, so I was supposed to walk, <laughs> I think, well, how I imagined it is I was walking on these like flagstones, so these, um, you know, like when somebody's got their yard landscaped with stones that you walk on. So I was walking on these stones to go up to my window. It's like the idea of, you know, the troubadour secretly summoning their lover. You know, why, why is the, the lover's always up on a, an upper floor, up on a balcony. So this is what I was doing. I was walking on these, you know, flank stones and um, shale stones, whatever they were, stones, you know, walking stones, up to somebody's secret window, and I was summoning them. And so let's say the, you know, excerpt was probably, I don't know that it was more than a paragraph. It might have been like two, which what one thing I realized so I took an acting class, actor 101, acting 101. <laughs> it was cool though. It was, um, it was like, a, it was the closest thing to therapy I've ever had at university. Um, it was this young guy, it was an actor who was teaching us how to act. So we did breath exercises and we did um, script readings you know, we did whatever you call the range of um, when one person reads and then when two read, you know, when they, when there's two parts, two people interacting with a script. Um, so in this audition, I started and stopped three times. And I don't even think I got really beyond the first sentence. I can't even remember what it was. I do remember the feeling of utter, you know, like what you'd call the worst version of anxiety, 
when there's a pit in your stomach and you've got the sweats and you feel it's just all the wrong things. You feel all the wrong things. A lot of fear. Um, self-consciousness, self-doubt, uh, embarrassment for not remembering or forgetting or realizing that that's not one of your skills to memorize. That's not my skill to memorize. And as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm a little suspicious of over-memorization. There's something damaging about over-memorizing because y- you can't stay present. You're, you're having to go into this part of your mind, you know, the memory chamber, which, I mean, what if you're remembering dead words that don't matter? Then essentially you're dead for that moment. And so obviously I didn't stay in the theater, theater department. As a matter of fact, on attempt number three, I proceeded to promptly, I just walked out of my audition. Like I just, I don't even know if I said, um, thank you. I'm sorry. That's funny. That's part of the Hanaponopono. Thank you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I love you. Um, So let's say I said, thank you, I'm sorry, forgive me, I love you. And I walked out and I continued to walk out of the building. And I don't know if I felt like I was never going to return or maybe I didn't. Maybe I never returned. That's very moon Aquarius. Just fucking decide you're leaving and leave. (laughs) Like that's called a clean exit. And I was crossing... um, I was crossing, I'm going to take a little visual right now and see how long I've been recording. Okay, this is just under an hour. That's good. I like my stuff around an hour. Um, <clears throat> so we will be winding down in approximately the next 11 minutes. I like that I could be the I could be the sexy voice. Ooh, remember I said I don't like the letter X? I could be the sensual voice for many products and experiences. Couldn't I? Yeah, there you go. Income stream. Yeah, yeah. I did some voiceover work. Um, Studies, voiceover studies. That'll be a different podcast. Let's go back to the present moment. Um, the present moment is I'm walking out of Rarig Center, I, which is on the West Bank, which is funny. Um, <laughs> when I was in college, I had this friend, um, she was an acquaintance named Paige, and she was trying to like ch- chum up to me, which that's not a good idea. Don't try and chum up to me if somehow you're somehow either snotty or so different from me. Because why? Why are you trying to chum up to me? You're, you already, your initial vibe that you put out there is that you're, I don't even know, that you're clicky. I, I, don't, don't, don't give me clicky. I don't care for it. You should be able to stand on your own feet wherever you are in the world, in any moment. And stay open to love. That's the best way to be. Please don't be clicky, people. If I could teach young people one thing, it would be the damaging aspect and element of clickiness. Don't be clicky. Just be loving. 
Then you can have friends that are 92 and you can feel comfortable around seven-year-olds and you can hand off the toddlers to their parents. That's too young for me. Um, but, well, plus toddlers aren't clicky, so. Um, I walked, oh, I know what I was going to say, <laughs> Noam Chomsky. Um, so this girl, Paige, if she ever hears this podcast, it's pretty funny, Paige. Um, Paige Anderson is her name. She and her sister, Autumn Anderson, were in my realm um, during my college years. I actually spent a small chapter of my life as a Delta Gamma, um, as a sorority sister. I didn't last for more than a year because I'm not clicky. So the whole thing kind of creeped me out. The only thing that was fun is, and I didn't need to join a sorority because I already knew like half the guys in the fraternities. You could go there and drink beer and smoke cigarettes and a few other things that I did, but mostly I was just one of the guys. Um, those were some fun days in the lodge, partying with the lodgers and the five size. <laughs> Mostly I like the lodgers and the five size. Everyone else can go, you know. Um, there was a Sammy or two that I liked. Okay, back to the other part of campus. So I'm crossing the, there's a, there's a skyway uh, walking bridge that goes over the Mississippi River <clears throat> that separates the West Bank from the East Bank. And um, I... I'm going to take a sip of water. Excuse me. Wet my whistle. It's always important to wet your whistle when you're doing these these audio projects. Um, so I'm... Oh, the thing I was going to say about Noam Chomsky. So this Paige Anderson is like, Paige, you should come with me to the Noam Chomsky lecture, which I think was in the psych building in one of those enormous classes, which just drives me nuts. Like, why do people feel like they're smart when they're in a big class? Gross. But anyway, he was in this huge lecture hall. He was pretty young. It was the 90s. I mean, he looks old now. That guy's got to be, I don't know, 90? Maybe he's in his 80s, but he would have been, do the math, what are we, 20s? teens, zeros, 90s. 30 years ago, um, yeah, 30 years ago, Noam Chomsky would have been about, who knows, 50-something? My age, for heaven's sakes. Um, he was talking about, he kept talking about the West Bank, you know, Palestine and the West Bank, blah, 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 blah. And first of all, I wasn't interested. I really wasn't interested in politics at that time. I it's still like, I I always do an energy read of words that I don't like. Politics, poly meaning many and ticks. Who wants a lot of ticks? Gross. They're disgusting. They're bloodsuckers. I don't like politics. But anyway, he kept referring to the West Bank. Yes, I know what it is now. I realize, you know, all that stuff over there in the Israel and Palestine and the West Bank. <laughs> so I've never been over there. Why should I have to know that that's the West Bank? 
But my West Bank was, you know, what I just spoke of, Rarig and the psych building. And, you know, the, the bank I was soon to be leaving. I loved the West Bank. Um, I did like the library. The library was fine. Um, so I promptly walked across that long bridge over the river from the West Bank to the East Bank. And as I was walking, this is how, like, I have magic. I've always had magic every day in my life. But it looks, on a 3D level, it just looks like that happened. And some people wouldn't experience, express it as magic. But I guess I've always been five, six, seven, eight, ninety. you know? I've always been that way. I've always felt magic. Now I'm actually embodying it and drawing it out of me and through me and near me. And I have magical friends and I have magical, my dad is magical. Um, Hope, you're magical. Alexis, you're magical. My tall Korean boyfriend with lots of hair who speaks Spanish will be magical. He is. He already exists. I mean, so, and he's between the ages at my 52. To match my 52, he's somewhere between 40, 40? Yeah, he's somewhere between 40 and maybe he could be. I don't want him to be older than 58. I don't even want him to be older than me, okay? I like someone just a little younger than me. That's my jam. All right, so cool. I just manifested him with my words. Um, I love you. I'm like running my fingers through your thick black hair. You... Korean lover and friend of mine my best friend I love you so much can't wait to meet you in Mexico but that'll be a different podcast ah Mexico such a wonderful vision and experience to have so I'm crossing from the west bank to the east bank and I see this little person (laughs) when I was young there were so many songs that all these fucking uptight PC lefties would we're not even allowed to make lyrics like this anymore remember that song sure people got no reason to and I remember as a kid I would sing it and you know there's all these songs you would sing and you wouldn't even this is what social programming is (laughs) You wouldn't consider the meaning of that which was coming out of your mouth. You know, you're parroting. That's what singing is. You're parroting another's lyrics. Anyway, short people got no reason to live. Randy New Randy was that Randy Newman? Who was that? All right, there's another one for the. I'd like to have a podcast and maybe what I can string together somehow through audio because I think. I think you can leave me an audio message. Would somebody please leave me an audio message? Please, please, it would make me so happy. Um, any of my listeners, especially you, tall Korean, um, dude who speaks Spanish. As I'm crossing this, and it's really cool, this bridge, 
I'll describe it. So it's got a skyway, which people in the Midwest know what a skyway is because it gets so cold that you need these building connectors or land connectors that are indoors because it's it's just too cold. You can't walk outside in in 20 below zero for very long. And um, because I'm not the, what do you call the, exhibitionists, you know, who the people that walk across Antarctica, Will, Will Steger, Will Steger, I I had dinner with Will Steger one night, that could be, I'm going to do a podcast on that a different night, Will Steger, here I come, I, I basically made him poop his pants a little bit, just a little bit, like, you know, a taper. But back to my walk. So I'm walking. Imagine there's that interior skyway on either side. It's flanked by a gorgeous exterior walkway. I love bridges. Bridges are one of my favorite things in the whole world, anywhere, anytime. Any and all bridges. I love them as long as they're safe. Don't put me on an unsafe bridge and I don't even want to look. Like in old movies where, you know, whatever the crux point for... Doom was somebody walking across a rope bridge. That shit is terrifying. Yeah, I never want to be on a bad bridge. But um, and I won't. I will never be on a bad bridge. Um I'll never be on a bridge with trolls. Um, yeah, all my bridges are good. I form build good bridges and I I go on good bridges. So I'm on this good bridge. And I get to the East Bank. I mean, I get to the other side. So this this is an energetic rite of passage. I get to the other side of the place I had to leave because all my terrible feelings about that shitty audition and not caring about what Noam Chomsky had to say and overly large psych classes. And there's this little man named Tom, just a tiny little person. I mean, tiny meaning like I'm five foot seven. And this guy's probably five, three and small. Like I just had a flash. He was wearing like old faded, were they mustard or hunter green corduroy pants. People loved wearing corduroys up till the nineties. I don't know if people wear corduroys anymore. I haven't seen them in a long time. I'm going to buy some corduroys. Um, I never liked wide whale cord. I like the really thin, you know, like good old classic Levi's. Thin corduroys. Give me a pair of thin corduroys. They're so comfortable. Um, So he's wearing these thin corduroys, and he has that kind of, you know, the red person who has kinky hair. Kinky, as you would think, you know, certain ethnic groups with brown skin have really, really kinky hair. That's an ism. Isn't that weird? I should, I'll consult my friend Reggie on that one. Um, he talks about when he was young, I think he said he had red hair and he's black. Um, I think he recently found out he has Aboriginal blood, which is so awesome, so amazing. Um, and from nobility, I think, which is <laughs> the original peoples. I mean, can you get more magical? 
I don't think so. Um, yeah, so my friend Reggie is magical. Um, shout out to Reggie in Tennessee. I love you. He's got a podcast called Silver Rain. Silver, as you think it's spelled, and then Rain, R-E-I-G-N. Um, I know he put out the first episode recently. I hope he keeps posting. And he'll keep posting, and then we're going to have a co-podcast. That's going to be really fun. Just like, not all the time, but sometimes. And I used to do this with him. Wow, I just said I used to. That means I haven't talked to him in a while. But we we have one to four hour conversations once every week or other week. I love that. I love shooting the shit. It's like my favorite thing with intelligent people that are juicy with good hearts. Um, so yeah, hint to tall Korean, please be juicy, have a kind heart and show me your intelligence. I want to see what's in your pants and what's in your mind. Thank you. Um, so little Tom has kinky hair, extremely kinky hair. And it's like so kinky that it grows out, you know, not just out of his head down to his shoulders, but like out in all directions. So imagine this little tiny person with freckles all over his face named Tom, who, you know, his voice is kind of high pitched because he's a little person. And as a matter of fact, the Irish people are called the wee people. The kind folk are the wee people, the little people, the everyday people. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of lore about them. I mean, they were real humans who happened to be small, tiny. Tom was one of those people. So wee little Tom was walking toward me, you know, in the Skyway on the U of M campus on the East Bank side. And I'm like, well, hey, Tom, what's up? So I had um, one of the requirements, general requirements for being a, having any bachelor's was to take a, I think we had a comparative lit class or composition. It was either comparative lit or composition. And um, he was, yeah, he was in my class. And I, I was greeting him and I was so glad to see him and he made me feel happy inside and I said, hey, Tom, what's your major? What's your major? And, you know, he had no idea that I was just pregnant with a readiness to, I don't know. I, I mean, he basically just dropped a truth bomb in my lap of possibilities. And he said, oh, <laughs> I'm an English major. I was like, oh, an English major. Well, guess where I ended up going? <laughs> yeah, I walked myself right on over to Lind Hall. And I was an English major and it was great. It was so great. I had so many good experiences. Um, English major, women's studies minor. 
women's studies minor by mistake because the men in the English department were so utterly boring. David Luke, you can just go talk to yourself in a closet with your turtlenecks on. I mean, who wears turtlenecks every day? That's so weird. Um, But I guess professors in the 70s did. I just said the 70s. He was from the 70s. He brought his fashion statement from the 70s into my 90s romantic literature class. And I didn't like it. I didn't like him. I mean, the romance writers were all so fucking amazing. How could you screw that up? How could you make them seem boring? Blake and... um, Um, I'm not going to think about my English classes right now, but now I've reached the end of my podcast because I said at the end, I would say what my major ended up being. And I've just said, so cheers to all you English majors out there. Cheers to all you writers. Cheers to all you orators. Cheers to all you performers who embrace language, the singers, uh, the spoken word purveyors, the rappers. Um, Yeah, I welcome you all into my world, my realm. And I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for sticking it out. Um, I never want people to feel like they have to listen to an entire podcast. I hope that I just invite you to traverse with me. It's kind of like we're skipping through the East Bank together. Yeah, and then all of a sudden we slip in the grass on Nicollet Mall and we we take a little nap in the sun. So on that note, I leave you. Um, I don't know what I'm going to call this podcast because didn't I start talking about my wish for who the Korean lover is? Um, but it's an add-on. I also mentioned the Maori um, dreams that I've had that are very important. Please go back and listen to those. Um, and if you like them, great. I I find that they they seem to be uh, peace. You know, a collective peace. One, two, three, four, five. It's some kind of disclosure. Like I'm still learning from listening to those dreams, the Maori dreams. There's a lot of deep symbology in them. And somehow I end up being on a sacred council of timekeepers. The Maori choose me. How's that for come full circle from New Zealand and land trusts representing Earth? as a persona I've always fucking you know I've always loved earth God that's tricky you know you can't see God I know that God loves me I know that God is within my heart God is the unseen manifestation of well you know the term love and light those don't have to be like sappy terms by any means Love is an illumination that emits from our heart. It's biophotonic light. Humans emit biophotonic light, and it's a deep charge from the heart. 
And in that biophotonic light, we can carry love. So you can, you know, when you t- when we hear about frequencies, you can beam your frequency long and far. That's what I'm doing with this podcast. I'm broadcasting my biophotonic love light for you. Anytime, anytime. I love you and I love me and I love this moment in history. It's so funny that we're emerging from a cultural um, phase of our lives known as COVID coronavirus disease, which is all just a total sham. But, you know, we can discuss the details of that later because everything's opening up as of July 1st. What does that mean? No more masks. And in the state of Minnesota, they're saying they're glad that because that means they've achieved their goal of over 70% of the population being vaccinated. Quote, unquote, technically you can't call any of those experimental therapies vaccines. First of all, they don't have the FDA window of time necessary for research. That's a no-no. That's a big no-no. That means putting potentially harmful substances inside of humans, in our bloodstreams, affecting our DNA. Hello, this is the first injection we've ever been given that has a synthetic DNA marker that changes your DNA. Oh my God. Hello, that's AI. You are becoming programmed. You become a program. You're programmable. Thankfully, I check in with my dad every couple days because he elected to get the mRNA injection because, of course, that generation listens to what their doctors tell them to do. Even if they, like, philosophically, I already told him, Dad, it's got monkey kidneys. Vaccines historically, I'm not anti-vaccine, But for the most part, we've just been shooting toxins into the human population. For the most part, that's a verifiable fact. Monkey kidneys? He's like, why monkey kidneys? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, It ends up being an adjunct, which means it's an agent that amplifies other ingredients. Um, Aborted fetuses, aborted fetal tissue are a, a regular component of recent vaccines. Aborted Fetal tissues, what's that all about? Hmm. Mercury, not supposed to have that inside our blood. Aluminum, not that either. Um, what else? What other goodies? Well, you know, like pumping something bad back into the person. So pumping the HIV virus back into the person that's already falling ill. See, these things just don't make sense to me. The human biodome has its own immunity. I've never wanted a shot for anything because my immune system, I mean, I'm one of the healthier 52-year-old human beings on the planet. And the only medications I've ever had in my body Well, I was forced to take an antibiotic when I underwent surgery once. But other than that, nothing nada. Nothing nada. 
It's called good eating, good living, you know, really, really good water. I bless my water. I only buy all the good purified spring water, you know, whatever, RO, reverse osmosis, all the good waters, structured water. I'm going to invest in that soon. I'm going to start, I'm going to seek out structured water. So I'll tell you all more about that when I hear about that. But I was I was bidding you all adieu. I was saying goodbye. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, goodbye. Adieu, adieu to you and you and you. Um, I won't sing much more because then that's usually competing with whatever the soundscape is that I choose in the background. But... As I said before, I love you all. I'm so grateful that I'm drawing an audience. Let's let's change the world with our good minds and good hearts. Thank you for being here. I'll talk to you soon. Ching chong. I'm out.